Hello, and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you part two of an adaptation of an original short story written in 1999. In A House for Rent Part One, Laura and Tom, a young married couple, arrived in California to begin a new life after the recent death of Laura's father. On their first day in a new town, they began to search for a house to rent. Arriving at the first house on their list, Laura and Tom meet the strange old caretaker Elaine, who is now about to reveal to them the mystery of the house. A House for Rent, Part 2 Adapted from the short story by Michael D. Hall Tom and Laura leaned forward, waiting for Elaine's next words. The fact is, Elaine began, that the owners of this house were murdered here. Laura could not begin to stand fast enough. Tom reached over and comfortingly put a hand on his wife's shoulder, urging her to be seated again. Tom, there's no way I'm staying in this house, Laura said firmly. People died here. Tom countered quietly. Laura, this house is perfect. Well, almost perfect. Let's just hear her out. Not wanting to argue in front of Elaine, Laura sat back down. Fine, we'll listen. Tom smiled. Then we're leaving, Laura concluded, then turned to Elaine. Please go on. Elaine continued. The mystery behind the deaths is still unsolved. Mr. and Mrs. Kingsley lived in this house. They had lived here for many years, never bothered anyone. Then, one night, their anniversary night, they were to meet some friends for dinner. When they didn't show up at the restaurant, one of the friends came here to the house and found the Kingsleys dead. Elaine took a deep breath. That was last year. Laura sat with her hands clasped tightly, saying nothing. Tom asked Elaine to excuse them, and he took Laura into the kitchen. Once they were alone, Tom tried to convince Laura that she should not be afraid. There's nothing to fear in this house, he said, trying to convince her. You don't believe in ghosts, do you? Of course not, but two people died here, Tom. Laura repeated the fact with all the determination she could muster. Tom continued his attempt to persuade Laura, but she absolutely refused to sign the rental agreement. It wasn't until Tom got Elaine to agree to let them spend the night in the house, free of charge as a trial, that he was then able to convince Laura to stay. But just for tonight, Laura said firmly, since it's late already, then tomorrow we go back to a motel. Any motel. Tomorrow you'll want to sign that rental agreement, Tom said confidently, though neither Laura nor Elaine was convinced. After Tom had brought in their bags, Laura headed for the master bedroom to settle in for the evening. At first, she doubted that she was going to be able to sleep at all in this place, but after walking through the house again, Laura began to reconsider. This was the most charming home they had seen all day. She could almost forget someone died there. Almost. Laura unpacked her robe and threw it onto the bed, then sat at the bureau. Briefly, she admired the antique mirror in front of her. Then Laura's gaze shifted to her reflection in the mirror. She had to admit that she looked tired. She was tired from the trip, tired from the loss of her father, and too tired to be afraid of a house. Laura leaned back in her chair. Then something caught her eye in the reflection over her shoulder. It was a face peering through the French doors behind her. Laura turned quickly to see who it was. The person she had seen, or thought she had seen, 
was not there. Tom knocked on the doorframe as he entered. Settling in? What? Laura blinked. Had she imagined that there was someone looking through the glass doors? Maybe, she thought as she answered Tom's question. Settling in for the night, yes. Now that she was possibly starting to see things, Laura refused to let her husband believe they were going to stay any longer than she had agreed. Well, I'm going out for a quick run to get some champagne to celebrate the evening. Where's Elaine? Laura asked, thinking that the caretaker might run the errand if she thought it could close the deal. She's gone for the evening, Tom said. Our business with her was finished for the day, so I let her go. That was all right, wasn't it? Oh, sure, Laura said unsteadily. I just thought she was going to be here with us for the night. You know, I'm still a little nervous about this whole situation, Laura admitted. Did she at least leave her phone number for us to call if we have any questions? Ah, uh, here's the thing. As soon as Tom started, Laura knew she would not like it. Elaine said that the phones are out. There are no phones. Water and electricity is on, obviously, but we'll have to set up the phone service in the morning if we decide to stay. Tom could see Laura's discomfort building again. Look, he said softly as he stepped up and kissed her forehead. It's a nice neighborhood. I'm sure our neighbors will let us use their phones if we need to, but we won't need to. Laura did not look convinced or comforted, so Tom continued. Why don't you take a warm shower and I'll be right back. You'll feel a lot better after you've had a glass of champagne. Laura was still not convinced, but bravely smiled anyway. She hoped that she was just being foolish. Tom kissed her again before grabbing the car keys and heading out. Soon, Laura heard the front door close. For a moment, Laura simply sat at the bureau. She suddenly wished that she hadn't let Tom leave her alone in this strange house. Taking a breath to calm herself, Laura stood and put her suitcase on the bed. Maybe Tom was right. Maybe a shower would be just what she needed. Suddenly, Laura heard a crash from the other side of the house. The clatter was similar to the sound Laura and Tom had heard earlier when they first entered the house. Tom? Laura said, stepping out of the bedroom and into the hallway. She knew Tom couldn't be back so soon. Laura made a quick decision and moved to the front door to make sure it was locked. And it was. As she turned to head toward the back of the house, Laura thought she heard something like a muffled bump. The sound came from underneath the floor. Tom, is that you? Laura asked, though she knew that he would have let her know if he'd come back already. There was no answer. Laura stepped toward the kitchen and a door that was locked when she and Tom toured the house earlier. That door was now slightly ajar. Tom, are you here? She called a little louder. There was still no answer. Laura was positive the door was closed earlier. Moving closer, she pulled the door open a little further and looked into the darkness. In the light from the hall, Laura could see a staircase leading downward into the dark. The basement, Laura thought as she felt herself tense up again and her hand found a light switch on the wall inside the doorway. She drew in a deep breath and switched on the light. Laura took a few steps into the previously unexplored part of the house. With each step downward, she felt more and more anxiety, more fear. Just as Laura felt she would be too overwhelmed to go on, she looked up and realized that she was already halfway down the stairs into the basement. She thought about how Tom would laugh if he found her stuck on the stairs unable to move. Trying to relax, she continued onward and downward. 
Reaching the bottom of the stairs, Laura stopped for a minute to catch her breath, which she had been holding nervously. The lighting in the basement was very poor. It was easy for Laura to imagine someone lurking in the shadowy corners, but she could hear no one. She did notice various pieces of old forgotten furniture and items of nostalgia scattered in piles everywhere. There were plenty of places for someone to hide. Laura noticed some old clothing on top of a stack of boxes. Sifting through the old dresses, shirts, and aprons, the musty smell reminded her of the basement in the house where she grew up. Looking into the box under the clothes, Laura found an old portable tape recorder, several telephones, and a stack of mail bundled together with rubber bands. Laura picked up the tape recorder. There was a tape inside labeled 50's Top Hits. She then examined the telephones. Laura noted that these would be more useful once the telephone service was restored. Then, Laura noticed something strange about the bundle of mail. She was so focused on her discovery that she didn't notice a shadow approaching behind her. As Laura looked down at one of the letters, she felt a hand reach around from behind her and grasp around her mouth. I wouldn't scream if I were you, spoke Elaine's matter-of-fact voice. Laura's eyes were filled with shock and terror. Gasping for breath, Laura could not have screamed if she tried. Upstairs, Tom closed the front door, having just returned from his errand. He walked into the living room with a bottle of champagne. Laura, I'm home, he called toward the bedroom. As he walked down the hall, he noticed the basement door was open slightly, and the light in the basement was on. Opening the door wider, he looked down the stairs as far as he could and into the room below. Laura, are you down there? Tom called out as he set the champagne on the side table. There was no answer, but something in the basement shifted, something that sounded like wood creaking or scraping on cement. Tom cautiously walked down the steps. When he reached the bottom step, he was shocked to find Laura gagged and bound in a chair against one of the walls. Laura! He cried out, running over to her. As quickly as he could, he untied the gag around her mouth. It's Elaine. She's crazy. She tried to kill me. Laura's voice was hysterical. She tied me up when she heard you come back in. Elaine, what do you mean? Tom asked, still trying to get Laura untied. She fidgeted nervously in her seat as she continued. She came back after you left and lured me down here, came up from behind me. I knew something was wrong with her. Laura continued as she looked up the stairway. There's something else about this house that she doesn't want anyone to know about, and I was getting a little too close. That's why she had to get rid of me. Hurry, Tom. We have to get out of here. Tom looked at his wife, stood up, and took a step backward. Tom, untie me. Looking down at Laura, Tom said, That would spoil everything. What are you talking about? Laura asked. Moving over to the box with the telephones, Tom disconnected one of the phone cords and pulled it out. Elaine helped me much more than I could have ever imagined. There's no way I'll be held accountable. She will take the fall. It's all too easy. The easiest road imaginable. Laura looked at Tom and pleaded, Tom, darling, please tell me what you're talking about. Well, you see, it's genius, Tom smiled. I rented this house a month ago. The Kingsleys aren't dead. They're just away, traveling for a while. I secretly hired Elaine so she didn't know whom she was working for. I gave her explicit instructions on what to say and how to act, including peeking through windows and rattling doors. You've had an emotionally rough time since the funeral, so I figured a haunted home would push you over the edge. Why, Tom? Laura asked, not really wanting to hear. 
At first, I was going to have you declared mentally unstable so that I could be made the executor of your state. After all, there'd be no one to suspect that I was the one who made you unfit. Tom wrapped the phone cable around his hands as he stepped closer to his wife. Think about it, Tom continued menacingly. You have all your dear old dad's money, and yet you still want us to work for a living? Tom shook his head. Well, I have other plans. I've had to work my whole life, and now it's time for Tommy to play. As he said this, Tom walked over to Laura and wrapped the phone cord tightly around her neck. This will be even easier than having you committed. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Elaine emerged from the shadows with a baseball bat in her hand. I knew something was wrong, the way you kicked me out of the house earlier. As Elaine stood firm, Tom's grip on the cord around Laura's neck loosened slightly. He thought perhaps he should make a break for it. That's right, Tom, Laura said, interrupting Tom's thoughts. Her voice now changed. There was no more fear or terror. Those feelings were replaced by anger and resentment. The stack of personal letters and bills in that box are addressed to the Kingsleys. They're no older than a few weeks. That's amazing for a couple that's been dead for a year. You tried to make me crazy, but it didn't work. I might have trusted you to the end, but Elaine caught me just in time and we figured out your whole plot. Tom shook his head and laughed. That might be true, but who will ever believe you? I'm sure the police will. Elaine pointed down to the tape recorder that Laura had found. Tom's entire confession was on tape. You know what else, dear husband? Laura growled as she pulled at the slip knots Elaine had tied and freed herself. What? Tom said defiantly, the smirk now gone from his face. The phones actually work. Laura ripped the cord from her neck that Tom had used to choke her. And the police are on their way. The next thing Tom felt was Laura's fist connecting squarely with his jaw. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of A House for Rent, adapted from the short story by Michael D. Hall, as read by J.T. This month's episode is our season finale, and Auditory Chronicles will be taking a break for the summer. We'll be back with more tales of mystery and wonder in September. But keep in touch with us on our Twitter feed and Facebook page, as we are planning to have a treat or two for our listeners during the summer months. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie, and on behalf of everyone here, I'd like to thank you for supporting the podcast during our first season, and as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>